0: Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? That's some truth right there, isn't it? If you, wherever you are, will lean into that and you will choose your identity to come from what the Lord says about you, it changes everything. To know that at the core of who you are, it's that God accepts you. And we're talking in this series about how sometimes it's complicated in relationships. And I'll just tell you one of the secrets I've found in my life. When you get this relationship figured out, all these other relationships get less complicated. There's a lot of things to work out between romantic partners and spouses and friends and and family members and coworkers and neighbors. But... When you know who you are in terms of who you are with God, it just it becomes less complicated. So what we're doing in this series is just saying, Lord, teach us who we are and teach us how to to love one another more deeply. So we've been going through this series about and today we want to talk about what is it like to to build trust into your relationship It's a core aspect of of any healthy relationship, so how do you know if you can trust somebody, and how do you know when it's time to to let them inside the fence of trust, and how do you build trust? How do you regain trust if you've lost it? We need to talk about that, because honestly, a lot of us have trust issues. I think some of it might go back to things like this. We were taught in school, well, you just tell me, which one's Greenland and which one's Iceland, because I'm confused. You tell me, because maybe this is one of the reasons why we have trust issues. Maybe for you, it goes back to that day you came home from school and you went, oh my goodness, my mom made my favorite cookie, chocolate chip cookie, and you bite into it. And what is it? Oatmeal raisin. And that's why you have trust issues. Or you were on vacation and you told your dad you had to go to the bathroom and he said, we can make it. And you go, well, there's a great exit right there. And he goes right by it. He said, we can make the next one. And that's why you have. Or maybe it's because the pastor said in conclusion and then talked for another two days. Or maybe it's this truly horrible person who thought this was a good idea, took M&Ms and Reese's Pieces, which I'm with you so far, and Skittles and put them all in the same bowl together. Can I give you a word from the Lord? (laughs) I don't care what Pinterest said. This is an abomination, and it should never happen. Somebody did this at their workplace, and, and somebody else, thankfully, spoke for all of us. They quoted scripture when they wrote this note. Whoever you are, whoever did this, you have no soul, and I hope you're happy with yourself. It's just wrong, and you should be ashamed. (Laughter) yeah. This is why we have trust issues. But uh, we want to talk about this because uh, the key to this series is figuring out our relationships. The key verse for the whole series has been a a teaching from Philippians in the Bible. It was a letter that the Apostle Paul, a church planter and Christian leader, wrote to some friends of his in a church that he helped plant. And in Philippians 2.5, he said, In all of your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I would invite you right now. Would you just read that out loud with me? In your relationships... With one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, what this is saying is, we want to look to Jesus to see how we figure out all of these aspects of our relationship which is really important to us here at Connection. We, we say we're here to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus. We say we're here to make disciples of Jesus and mentor disciples of Jesus and then mobilize disciples who then go make other disciples of Jesus. It's really all about Jesus here. I like what Pastor Gene Apple told his church once. He said, you know, the most important thing in your life is not that you're in church. It's that you're in Christ. And I think the same thing for you. So as we learn today about trust and the place that it has in our relationships, we want to look to Jesus and let him teach us. So one of the other sources that have been really helpful to me in this series is uh, the writings of a guy named Dr. John Van Epp. He's a psychologist, a researcher, a clinician, a therapist, a counselor writer. And uh, one of the books that he's written is called uh, Better Together, Growing Better Together. And I just think it was phenomenal. It was like a huge eye-opening experience for me. What he did in his research is just took all the scientific literature and said, what are some of those commonalities in relationships that work? And he boiled it down to five elements. And you see them right here. Uh, Every relationship that really works, whether it's in your marriage or if it's in your family or with a coworker, these five elements are probably present there and in varying degrees and we talked about this last week you first of all have to get to know someone and knowledge whether it's you're talking about your spouse your kids the lord knowledge is where you start the more i know about you the deeper our relationship can go today we're going to talk about trust and we want to say that as your trust grows with one another your relationship will grow and uh, so we're going to look about at how do we grow our trust and how do we look at that somebody said it this way i think this is really clever uh A relationship without trust is like a car without gas. You can stay in it all you want, but it's not going anywhere. So we we need to figure out, how do I build trust with the people that I care about, the people that I want to know better? And uh, one of the things that I've learned, and maybe you've learned as well, is you don't ever want your level of trust in someone to be beyond what you know about someone. That's a recipe for disaster. It's not going to work well. So when we talk about trust, let's just make sure we're all on the same page here because trust is one of those things where it's probably you could tell me I know what it is, but you would have a hard time maybe defining it without using the word trust in the definition. I just say it this way for the purpose of what we're talking about. Trust is a really strong confidence in someone. It's the idea that I really feel like who you've presented yourself to me as is the person that you really are. There's some authenticity. There's transparency. There's a A sense that you've got good character, that you're a good person, that you're trying to do the right thing. The other side of trust would be competence, that my strong confidence is that you can actually do what you say. Which you think about in another context, not of people, but like if I'm looking at a bridge and I'm driving a heavy truck, I have to say, do I have trust in that bridge to hold me up or not? It's not about moral character. It's just about, you know, when you have to leave your car for three days with a mechanic, is it going to come back to me fixed or am I going to take it back three times? So trust is that strong confidence you have in somebody. And if you think about it, trust is a risky thing. Because when I trust you, I'm letting you on this side of the fence. You're on my world now. Which means I don't have any protection. I'm more vulnerable to you when I trust you. Because you could, if you're not a good person, if you're not capable of what you say you are, you can really mess with my life, vice versa. Which is, it goes back to why you don't ever want to trust someone beyond, or certainly you don't want to rely on someone beyond what you know about them. So you want to spend the time in a relationship, especially if you're dating, to really get to know someone before you say, I trust you. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's the difference between trusting in someone and relying on someone? And we'll get to reliance next week. I would describe trust more as the attitude you hold towards someone, and relying is actually what you do in the real world. I don't know if that distinction makes sense to you. It kind of works for me. I think of, as I think through this whole issue of we're thinking about how does the Lord grow my trust, I just have a word for some of us, and the word for you would be, just be careful not to extend too much trust, especially don't extend too much trust too soon. I don't know if your personality type is like that, but... um, Maybe sometimes you've experienced that where you've trusted too much. And the, the Bible has a word for you. This is out of Proverbs fourteen fifteen. It says, Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent, the wise, carefully consider their steps. It's just saying what we've talked about right here. It's just not wise to trust someone beyond what you know about them because you're setting yourself up for some trouble. They might be a wonderful person. It may work out, but maybe you've got some stories where it didn't work out so well. I've been thinking about um, what I read one young adult wrote. She was just really honest, which... I got to say this, I love millennials and centennials because they're so honest and so transparent. Maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but let me just tell you her story. She said, I took an Uber at midnight to hang out with a guy who could probably name about me two things, maybe three at most. And so I've since grown to know that a good rule of thumb is never spend money on someone who doesn't know your last name. And I just say this, and I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks. We've all done dumb things, but I'd say uh, when you barely know someone and you trust them, rely on them, this is just a, like a first way down here and just be really intimate with someone, sharing details. And I, like, I don't know how much, I don't know much about you at all. This is like a recipe for a relational crash. And I don't know if you've experienced this in your life. If you are a person who maybe trusts too much, you've um, probably seen this play out. In your life. And here's the thing I want to say about you. I want to applaud you if you are a person who trusts easily. People like you, don't they? You're just like we all like you because you're easy to get along with, you're warm and welcoming, and you're quick to jump into new ideas and uh, to take challenges on. And we need people like you. So I'm not like saying that you're bad, I'm just saying that maybe you need to be careful about trusting too much because maybe you can tell a few stories. Where there's been a few consequences because you were too quick and too eager to trust something or someone that you shouldn't have. Or or maybe you find yourself in situations over and over you go, man, this didn't work out real well. I should be a little more guarded. Maybe I should be a little more cynical. But why? Maybe you find in your relationships they start off with a bang and end with a crash. You know, if if you're that kind of a person, there's somebody in the Bible that you're just going to immediately relate to. He's in the Old Testament. He lived 3,000 years ago. You may have heard of him before. His name is Samson. And if you want to find judges in your Bible, I would invite you just to see a little bit of his biography. True story, true guy. Uh, If you know anything about Samson, you might be thinking, oh, the, the guy was like a dumb jock. And I don't think that's fair. If you actually go read the story for yourself, and maybe the last time you heard it was when you were a kid, if you had some church experience, I think you should read it now at your current age because I think you're going to see some nuances and details that you haven't picked up before. So the thing about Samson, if you are completely unfamiliar with him, which is absolutely fine, he came into the world at a time when Israel was still a new country. It was like the Wild West of Israel. And so if you go way back, you've got Moses bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt and slavery. They come to the land that becomes Israel. They lived there, but there were people already there. So they had some conquests to take on. They had enemies all around them who wanted to stamp them out of existence, much like today. And one of them was the the Philistines. And so God would overwhelmingly have to just come in and raise up a judge, a a, a ruler, like Samson was one of them, to to deliver the people of Israel out of all this oppression that they were facing. And so Samson was one of them. Samson's story actually begins before he was even born. His parents couldn't have kids. And God came to his parents and said, this is your great day. You're going to have a child. And he's going to be an extraordinary kid. He's going to be a savior of the people of Israel. And he's going to have to do some things throughout his whole life because he's special. He's going to be a Nazirite. And that's nazir not N-A-Z-A, which is where Jesus was born in Nazareth. It's a different thing. A Nazarite never drank wine their whole life. They didn't eat grapes or eat raisins or anything. They never touched dead things, and they never cut their hair. Uh, so as Samson was born, I don't know if he was born with the full head of hair or if he grew it, but by the time the kid was five years old, he probably had a long, I don't know if he braided, I don't know what he did with it, but he grew up to be a very good-looking, long-haired kid, very strong. He had ext- we would look at some of the things he did and say, he's like a superhero. He's like Marvel Comics or DC Comics 3,000 years ago. But it was because the, the Lord did powerful things through him. But he wasn't always smart relationally. He, he, I don't think he was a dumb guy. I just think he just didn't make very wise choices. Let me read you about one of them. This is in Samson or I'm sorry judges, chapter 14. One day when Samson, as an adult, was in Timna, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, "A young Philistine woman in Timna caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me." But his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, go get her for me. She looks good to me. 3,000 years ago, let's not judge them by our standards. And then you might be thinking, well, Samson's parents sound really racist. What's going on with that? Remember, the Philistines were their enemies. This is like during World War II, a Jewish kid wanting to fraternize with a, a German Nazi. It's just, why would you do this? What they didn't know is God had actually kind of put this thought in Samson's mind to create a fight between the Philistines and Israel. And here's what happened. So Samson's parents went down to Timnah. They talked to the parents of this girl, this woman that Samson liked, arranged the marriage. Here's something interesting that happened on the way. I'm just going to tell you and summarize it. As they were going down, Samson took a little detour into a vineyard, which Remember, that's a no-no. He's not supposed to be touching grapes. He goes off into the vineyard. I don't know why he did that, but his parents didn't know this happened. A lion jumped out and was going to kill him. Samson was filled with power from the Lord, ripped that lion to pieces, and killed it. Came back to mom and dad, did not tell them a thing about what happened. They went down, made the arrangements for the wedding, went back home. Sometime later, Samson was walking back down to Timnah to see his girl. And he thought, I wonder what happened to that lion I killed? back in the vineyard, finds the carcass and had found that bees had built a hive in this carcass and there was honey in there. So he scooped honey out of this. I know it's gross, right? He scooped up the honey out of this dead lion and ate it. So, so now he's broken two of his three vows that he's not supposed to break. He's touched a dead thing and he's in the vineyard and goes on down. He's with the, the wife to be or the wife. I don't know at this point if they were married yet. And the people of the town had decided he needed some groomsmen. So they got 30 Philistine dudes to be his groomsmen. And Samson's feeling all cocky. And he said, I, got, I don't know if there was some alcohol involved in this, but he threw out a little challenge to the 30 guys who were his groomsmen. And he said, I've got a riddle. And if you can solve it, I'll give you guys 30 sets of clothes. And if, if you can't solve it, you give me 30 sets of clothes. This is a lot of money riding on this. And he said, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. I would never figure that in a million years. But they took the challenge, and they couldn't figure it out either. And finally, they realized we're not going to figure this out. So you go down to verse uh, 15. On the fourth day, because they got seven days to solve it, uh, these 30 guys said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we'll burn down your father's house with you in it. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to Samson in tears and said, you don't love me, you hate me, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even told the answer to my father and my mother. Why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. That's a great wife right there. So they then come, and they solve the riddle for Samson, and he has something obscene to say about his wife. I'm not going to read it, but you can see it there. It's actually pretty clever, which is why I say he's probably a pretty smart guy. And then you go down to verse 19. The spirit of oh, Samson went out I'm sorry, I've got to tell you this detail. Samson left town, went to a different town, killed 30 guys, took their clothes, brought it back to pay off his debt. Yeah, they're like, don't this is this completely apart from the sermon. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. Okay, can we just all... all right. So uh, Samson was furious about what had happened. He knew his wife had told, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given a marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Ouch. Again, I say just like a dumb jock, right? I don't know. I think Samson was just a man who trusted too much in relationships. He actually had another relationship with another Philistine woman. You may have heard of her, Delilah. And uh, that relationship, you know, he was not just blinded by love. He was literally blinded. And Samson actually lost his life because Delilah did the same thing to him. And you look at this guy and you think, Samson, the warning signs were all there. It's like somebody said, who's a counselor, like if somebody's trying to tell you who they are and the red flags are up, you should believe them. And everything was there, but he wasn't seeing it. But that's kind of a relational warning for those of us who trust too easily and too quickly. You gotta look at that and you think, but I can fix him. And she just needs somebody to believe in her. Let me ask you a question. Does anyone love people more than Jesus? Let me show you how Jesus dealt with people. And he loved them dearly. This is John chapter 2, verse 23. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people began to trust him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. A counselor friend of mine once said this to me and I've never forgot it. Unless you've recently walked on water, raised someone from the dead, changed water to wine, you're not going to fix them. There's only one Savior, there's only one Messiah, and you're not him. When somebody's telling you and you get to know them and you see there's just some red flags here, you should be paying attention to that. You can still love them, but maybe you shouldn't trust so much. Now, there's, a, uh, there's another extreme here, and it's the person who's been burned a little bit too much. And some people, no matter what, they will want to get back in the saddle again and trust. There are others on the other extreme. You just don't trust anyone, anytime, anywhere. You are jaded. You are cynical. You are skeptical. And no one is getting inside that fence with you because you've been burned one too many times. And so you're just going to keep people at a distance and you're not going to trust anyone. That's just your way of keeping it safe. I'm not going to trust you. If I have to rely on you, I will. But we're just not going to go there. Because not, there's, there's nothing I can learn about you that will make me trust you. Now, that's an extreme, but maybe you feel like you live there a little bit. I know a lot of people do. You know, it's like a, COVID has illustrated in real life what we often have been doing in American culture for a long time now. We literally keep people at a six-foot distance. We don't want to interact with people up close. We do the fist bump or don't shake hands at all. And now even when we're getting to a point where people are vaccinated and it's becoming more safe, we still have those muscle memories of staying apart and keeping a bubble around ourselves. It's going to be a hard thing to unlearn and to go back to being together. And I, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just saying this is kind of a real illustration of what we do relationally. We just sometimes keep people at a distance and just realize I want to guard my heart by just never putting myself in a place where somebody could hurt me again. And I would say to you, maybe God's inviting you to think that through again. But you would say, look, I've got reasons. Somebody once said this. I thought it was really good. There's two reasons why I don't trust people. One, I don't know them. And you probably know what number two is already. I do know them, and that's why I don't trust them. But maybe God wants to say, come on, you can do better. Is this really the life that God intended for you? That you would go through life on your own, never relying on anyone else, never really get into a place where somebody can rely on you because, I mean, they might take advantage of you if they did that. I wonder if God wants you to just open your heart up a little bit more. Our family, if you've been around for any length of time, you know for years, our family had a wonderful Labrador retriever. She was a chocolate lab named Rosie. She was just awesome. But when we got her, she was a kind of a mess, literally. I got her from the pet adoption center. We don't know her backstory, but it's it's like we just pinch ourselves because she was a beautiful, well-trained Labrador retriever. And she was literally messy. She was sick. We don't know where she came from. We were happy we got her. But the first few weeks that we had her, I was terrified because my youngest daughter, who's an adult now, would just put her face right in Rosie's face. Sweet little dog. And I'm just terrified because you know, some of you know firsthand, that there are dogs who've bit kids' faces and mauled them or killed them. And I'm just running all these scenarios. We don't know who this dog is. She came from the shelter. She could be awful, which is hilarious to me now because we know her so well. And so I just kept telling Abby, don't do that. We can't trust her. We don't know her. Over time, what we came to realize is that dog, in a million years, would never hurt a single person. I could leave her with anyone, anywhere, from little kid to old person, and you could stick your arm down her throat while standing on her, and she would never hurt you. Trusted her completely with anyone. But you would never, ever, ever leave food anywhere near her and leave the room. Because anything that she found within reach is going to be sent to the lab for testing. It's uh, You're not going to eat it if you leave the room. I remember one time vividly, we, we left like pizza on, on the counter or a sandwich or something, came back, and it was there. I was like, I could have swore I made a sandwich. You know, And there's the dog over there licking her lips. Or you know, I still remember one time, we were, it was Halloween, and we were down giving the candy out, set the dish down on the stairs, and I turn around... And she's very quietly and very gingerly just with her lips pulling a Reese's peanut butter cup out and kind of looked at me and just went downstairs with it. And I'm like, okay, you, you earned it. It's yours. <laughs> because I knew her. I knew I could trust her with people that just don't. And I think maybe there's something here. We just have to recognize that everybody's got their places. But the more we get to know them, there does come a point where you can say, I'm going to trust. And I know that you've maybe been burned enough times you go, I just don't want to go through that again. But maybe the Lord is saying to you, open up your heart and believe again. It would be easy just to say, but I watch what my parents went through in their marriage. And, and I've watched my friends and I've, I've just seen so many people. and I Again, this is not what the Lord wants for you. And Jesus didn't die for you so that we could do a life isolated from one another. Just, just kind of making it the best we can. Look, no one's ever going to be perfect. There's one perfect person, and he's he's lived here, and we know who he is, and, and none of us are him. So I'm sorry to say I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you sometimes, and you to me as well. And that doesn't mean that we can't still be friends and be in a relationship with each other. In your marriage, your spouse may disappoint you, let you down, not, not be there for you when you thought they should have been. Can we forgive? Can we move on? Can we just realize that we're all broken people doing the best we can? And with the Lord's help, we're getting better every day. And it's time to just say, I'm going to trust again. I love what the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It's talking, this is also the Apostle Paul who wrote that letter to his friends in Philippi. And he wrote another letter, letter talking about love. And he says this, love always protects. Love always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. And I think you might know this, but I'll just make it clear. When he says love, it's not the feelings you get in your stomach when you're just, you know, giddy over something, that someone you just met. It's not those feelings of friendship that you have. The word is literally a relationship where you do what's in the best interest of the other person, even if it costs you. And even if they don't love you back, it's a choice. It's an action. So when he says love always trusts, he's saying you choose to trust someone who's not always trustworthy. You choose to believe the best about them, even when sometimes they they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt, but you give it to them anyway, and you bring to the forefront their good qualities, and you push to the background the things that are more negative, because here's what I've learned. People will grow into what you believe about them. So when you believe the best about someone, when you, I think it was Andy Stanley said this, and I love this. He says, whenever somebody does something that's kind of, I don't know, just give the most generous possible explanation for why they did what they did. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't deserve it, but maybe they'll grow into the kind of person, because you believe that about them, who eventually does the right thing in the right way. Let me give you an example of how this can work and how you can shape someone's life by just believing the best about them. This comes from a time where the Apostle Paul was uh, actually getting ready to go on a missions trip with the guy who'd been his mentor and who was his ministry partner. This guy's name was Barnabas. And you find this story in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord, see how the new believers are doing. they have been on a mission trip, started a bunch of churches. Let's just go see how those churches are doing. So Barnabas said, yeah, he agreed. He wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had uh, deserted them in Pamphylia that was on the first mission trip and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas took John Mark with him, sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. As he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. This is like mom and dad in a huge fight. Paul and Barnabas, nobody ever saw that they would split up, but they did. And I love that the Bible doesn't tell us which one was right, because I don't know that either one of them was right or wrong. This is just a difference of opinions. It's Paul holding the line and saying, look, When we were out in the foreign country planting churches and things were tough, John Mark didn't stick it out. He bailed. He, He took off on us. I don't want to trust him a second time. And Barnabas is like, Paul, do you remember? I was the guy who spoke for you when you first became a Christian and nobody wanted to trust you. Barnabas was such an encourager and he believed in people. And he said, I think John Mark needs a second chance. I think he can grow up. And so Barnabas took John Mark and Paul went and took Silas. And I wanted you to see what happened. Years later, Paul now, at the end of his life, he's writing a letter to another of his protégés, a young pastor named Timothy, and this is out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul wrote to Timothy, only Luke's here with me now. Go get Mark, that's John Mark, and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. What happened from I will never go on a trip with this guy again to bring him because he's useful to me? Well, Barnabas believed in Mark, and Mark rose to the occasion. We think this is the Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark that's in your Bible. And, And Paul wasn't wrong to hold the line, but Paul certainly knew to admit when he was wrong and say, you know what, this guy has grown and changed, and I am going to accept him. I am going to trust him. In fact, at the end of my life, when I desperately need a friend, I want John Mark. This is what happens in a relationship when you learn to trust again. There's great transformational power in believing in someone. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Have you ever noticed that you have two partners? There's the partner in real life, and there's the partner in your head. You ever had an argument with a spouse in your head? for like 15 minutes, and then you start right there with your spouse in real life, and they're like, what in the world are you talking about? And you've just made yourself so mad arguing with the spouse in your head, and you know that's not real, right? But we do that so many times. Maybe what we need to do is just realize that we need to deal with each other as we actually are, bring the good to the foreground, push the, the negative to the back, and to, to say, you know what, because I want to go the distance, because I care about you, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, whether or not you deserve it. We're going to work this out. We're going to talk it out. We're going to get to know each other at a new level. We're going to find what the Lord can do with this relationship if we'll just trust him. Maybe for you, you just need to trust again. Now, I want to be real clear just as I close this out, and I really am telling the truth. I am going to close this out. But I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about staying in a situation that's abusive. I'm not talking about staying with someone who is hurtful to you. I am certainly not saying that trust means you trust, even when they've just clearly shown that they don't have your best interest in heart at all, where they're hurtful to you and they're just not a good person. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to be naive. Samson would have lived a whole lot longer if he'd just been a little bit smarter about who he trusted and to realize there's a time where you just can't trust someone because they've shown you who they are and they are not in your best interest. No, what I'm talking about is just working out the normal stuff of life because we do disappoint each other. Your friends are going to let you down. Your spouse isn't always going to be what you thought they should be and would be for you. And maybe you need to think about it from the other side of it. Maybe you've broken trust with someone and you need to be talking to the Lord about what it means to be trustworthy again. And God can help you with that. So maybe you are the person who says, I've trusted too much and I need the Lord's help to be more discerning. Or maybe you are the person who says, I just need to open my heart and as calloused as I am towards people, I'm going to take a moment and just pray to the Lord and say, I want to be more open to the people around me because you know that's what the Lord wants for you. And in all of this, just one last thing, there is a vertical element. I don't know where you are with the Lord, but I know that this isn't going to work out until you're good with him. And maybe there's something that's happened in your life. You've had a bad church experience. There's been someone in your life that disappointed you who represented God, and you just don't want to have anything to do with God because you're having an argument with the God in your head, not the God as he actually is. And you need to stop that because the God as he actually is loves you, and he's nothing like the person who sinned or disappointed you. And the more you come and just open yourself up to him, the more you're going to realize that. So the starting point of anyone's life becoming what it really should be is to trust Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, this right here is the element of a great relationship with God. The more you get to know about God, the more you're going to like him. The more you know about God, the more you're going to realize you can trust him, and you can rely on him, and you can pray to him, and he hears your prayers. And you can commit to Jesus. You can say, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to forgive my sins and lead me for the rest of my life, and he will do it. And you will learn things about God that you would never, you'll have such a close relationship with other people. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but it can be better. I want to pray for you. And I want, as I'm praying, would you just pray for yourself to God and ask him to show you where you need to grow in trust? Father, I do thank you that, man, you knew everything about us and we are anything but trustworthy. But yet you believed that you wanted us to be part of your family. What a gracious gift that is. Thank you. I thank you for that love that you have that just says, I'm going to do what's in your best interest, even if it costs me. And Father, it did cost you. It cost you the life of your son, Jesus. You gave your life for us, and we just willingly say thank you for that. We willingly open ourselves up to to follow you. And I do ask for anyone here, Father, that is uh, not committed to you, that through your Holy Spirit, you will nudge them and prompt them to make that right today. We're thankful to be here in your presence, and we pray in Jesus' name.